Um, over the last couple of weeks, we've been looking at and I've been sharing about our vision for the year ahead as a church and where we feel God's calling us to. And ex- uh, after a fairly um, uh, busy year of growth and him strengthening us, continuing to encourage us to stretch out. Um, and we're taking up an offering over these last few weeks and today and, and next Sunday um, to to, to raise the resources for all that God is calling us into so that we can continue to follow him. And today, so I want to continue to speak about giving, but I want to, it, it's such an important part of our lives, so fundamental to who we are as disciples. But I want to move our perspective away ever so slightly from what we are giving towards and just shift a little bit towards who it is that we are giving to when we bring our money. So if you take notes on your phone or whatever it is you do, if if the title helps you, we're calling today's message A Gift of Devotion. And like last week, we'll finish with an opportunity to give towards our offering. You may have found the booklets on your seat. I'll explain those when we get to the end. We'll sing a song, take up an offering if you would like to be part of that. No pressure whatsoever, but just an opportunity if you would like to give. And the setting today, as is so often in Jesus' life, a meal and a house. This is the most ordinary setting you could imagine for the most extraordinary of moments. And we're going to read from John's Gospel, chapter 12, from verse 1. The words will appear on the screen as I read them, but if you do have a Bible, it's always good to follow along. So do turn there. John, chapter 12, from verse 1. Six days before the Passover, Jesus, therefore, came to Bethany, where Lazarus was, whom Jesus had raised from the dead. So they gave a dinner for him there. Martha served, and Lazarus was one of those reclining with him at table. Mary, therefore, took a pound of expensive ointment made from pure nard and anointed the feet of Jesus and wiped his feet with her hair. The house was filled with the fragrance of the perfume. But Judas Iscariot, one of his disciples who was about to betray him, said, Why was this ointment not sold for 300 denarii and given to the poor? He said this not because he cared about the poor, but because he was a thief and having charge of the money bag, he used to help himself to what was put into it. Jesus said, leave her alone so that she may keep it for the day of my burial. For the poor you will always have with you, but you do not always have me. Chapter 12 follows on from one of the most extraordinary miracles in Jesus' ministry. It was referenced there in verse 1, where Jesus raised Lazarus from the dead. And to mark this fairly significant moment in Lazarus' life, his sisters, Mary and Martha, so this is not Mary, Jesus' mother, but Mary Magdalene, um, they host a meal in celebration and honor of Jesus and and what he has done for their family. And and so they invite lots of friends and family to come and celebrate. It'll be a packed house as they invite people to come on in. Jesus is going to be here. And it's essentially a party that they are hosting. And it opens up in these first couple of verses. It's one of the most normal social occasions that you could imagine. They're all coming in, probably catching up with one another, doing what we all do, complaining about the traffic on the drive over, probably a fairly heated discussion about how on earth Jerusalem FC missed out on the playoffs again this year. They probably, I imagine they'd be asking Lazarus, like, no, 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 tell us again, what did it feel like to be raised from the dead? Perhaps they're like going up to Jesus and saying, Jesus, after this, 
like, could we go down to the tombs? Could you show us again how you did it? Like, just show us that thing again. You know, just normal social occasion sort of stuff. Uh, having a good time. This is a standard regulation party that is going on. Then verse 3 happens. Verse 3. Mary, therefore, took a pound of expensive ointment made from pure nard and anointed the feet of Jesus and wiped his feet with her hair. The house was filled with the fragrance of the perfume. Now, sometimes when you're reading scripture, you think, this is so culturally removed from me. That happened thousands of years ago, thousands of miles away. This sounds odd to me, but was it just normal for them? Was this just what happened? Is this just how things were? Maybe they just always went around pouring perfume on one another's feet. Maybe just wiping one another's feet with their hair was just what they did. Like we've got Netflix and video games, they had pouring out perfume on one another's feet. That's just what happened. Was everyone at this party just expecting this, a sort of normal protocol, like you have your feet and then it's the sort of perfume pouring out ceremony and that's just what happens? This was not a social norm. This was not required or expected in any way whatsoever. And actually, everyone in the room would have been shocked by what they saw. They would have found it shocking and even scandalous what was going on. And to understand this scene, we need to understand something of Mary's life. In the Gospel of Luke, we read that before Jesus, uh, before Mary Magdalene met Jesus, she had been afflicted by seven demons. This is a picture of a life that had been dominated and restricted by the work of the enemy at almost every moment. Her life had been one of oppression and torment at the hands of the enemy. And the idea of freedom would have just been a far-off dream to her. Just like, what would that even look like? And just imagine her desperate situation. It's just like, I am completely oppressed and tormented. I have absolutely no idea how I will ever be free. What would that even look like? Where would my freedom and my deliverance, is, where is that going to come from? And then without her doing anything into this most desperate of situation, this man, who is now at her table eating her food, entered into her life. Without her needing to find him, he came to her and everything changed. He stepped into her imprisonment and he, in one moment, just set her free. That This life of affliction and torment was over. She was liberated from the enemy's influence in her life and he invited her on an adventure with him. And as a woman, she was then allowed to be with Jesus all the time and sit at his feet and listen and learn, which is just unheard of in this culture. He gave her dignity and raised her up and permission and opportunity to be all that God had created her to be. This is a, her life was a picture of the transforming work of Christ in a disciple, a monument to just how radical life with him really is. And now... That's what happened in her life. Now she is in her home. And as if it is just the most normal thing in the world, him, this man, Jesus, and Lazarus, 
her brother are just sitting and eating. When just days before, he had been dead and buried, her brother. She had been there when this man Jesus had gone to the tomb and shouted into it, Lazarus, come out, and spoken to the dead corpse of her brother. And she had seen that dead corpse then rise up and walk out, still wearing the grave clothes. And so whether it's premeditated or not, or whether it was spontaneous, we just do not know. But there's something there that then moved her to go and get, as we read in verse 3, the expensive ointment, or you might have a translation, expensive perfume. Now, this phrase, expensive perfume, for each of us will probably conjure up a slightly different idea. We might think expensive perfume, that just means not supermarket own brand perfume. Or it might even to you mean spending more than 30 pounds on some perfume. I did a little bit of research and uh, visited Harrods, the website, of course, there's no way they'd let me in the shop. And I found out that you can easily spend up to three or four hundred pounds on perfume, which, I mean, that probably doesn't surprise you in somewhere like Harrods. And maybe that's what you think of when you think, this is expensive perfume that Mary was using. John wants us to know this was a whole other level. He embellishes this verse with detail that we'll see maybe on this slide that comes up. He says that there is a pound of perfume. Well, the NIV has a pint of, of perfume. So this is not just a little bit that you dab on your neck. This is a substantial amount of perfume that she is bringing out of pure nard. Pure, undiluted. This is the real deal that she is using. And it becomes clear in verse 5 just how valuable this is when Judah says it could have been sold for 300 Denarii. Now, just in case your ancient currency conversion arithmetic is a little bit rusty, the NIV helps us out, as we see on the slide here, and just says this was worth a year's wages. This is not just a nice bottle of Paco Rabanne. The a year's wages of an average or even above average job. If we were to translate just how much this perfume was worth into our economic potential, if you like, this bottle of perfume was worth the equivalent of at least 20 to 25,000 pounds. And it's even more valuable in this context. In this time where most households would have just been one bad harvest or one similar unfortunate event away from starvation, extreme poverty, this, in a time where there was no social security at all, this perfume was your social security. This was your insurance against the very worst things happening to you and your family and those that you're closest with. It's your safety net. In fact, the likely scenario is, is that Mary Magdalene had this, not because she was hyper-wealthy, but because it had been passed down through generation to generation as your, this, all, like, this is your just-in-case fund. This is just, hold on to it in case the worst happens. And it's this that she takes, this most valuable of items, and she breaks the neck of the jar and anointed the feet of Jesus. Poured it all out upon the feet of this man. Could have had 
holiday of a lifetime, could have put a deposit down on a house, could have bought a nice new electric car, done something good for the environment. But instead, just the blink of an eye, poured it out, a year's salary on the feet of Jesus. An act of costly, extravagant worship to Jesus. She starts wiping her her hair over his feet. This is an extremely controversial moment for a woman to let down her hair in the presence of men and do this, but she is just moved by the deepest feelings of loyalty and adoration towards this man. She's like, I just don't care what people think. I don't care what this is going to cost me. I don't care the risk. I don't care about the stigma and the shame and the, the disapproving looks. I just want to honor Jesus. I just want to love him. I just want to show my devotion to him. And in verse 3, the house was filled with the fragrance of the perfume. This is the smell of worship, the smell of devotion. It's calling to mind imagery from both the beginning and the end of the Bible. It's uh, talking of the ex- in, in the book of Exodus, the sacrifices for the very first form of worship that they had was described as a fragrant offering, a pleasing aroma to the Lord. And then all the way to the end of the Bible, where the the bowls of incense in the throne room of heaven before Jesus in Revelation chapter 5 are the, the prayers and the worship of the saints, a pleasing smell to God. This is not just a thank you for resurrecting my brother gift. In the room with this Jesus, this one that she would one day come to call her saviour and her God. She comes to his feet and just pours out her worship. This one moment, a costly financial sacrifice to Jesus and her devotion to him are bound together and interwoven with each other in one single sacrificial act of worship. Her giving is her worship. Her giving is her devotion to Jesus. When I started working for a church full-time back in Nottingham, they knew two things about me, um, that I liked people and I liked numbers. Um, And so I was put in charge of our welcome and, uh, and, and stuff like that, and I was also put in charge of our finances. And uh, being in charge of finances at a church is quite a funny thing because you know everybody. Um, and I knew most people at, at Grace Church where I was doing this. And then there comes that moment pretty early on in your doing that job where you then start to find out how much people give, which is just uh, something that people you know, talk about very much. And I remember that first time where I opened up the spreadsheet or whatever it was to see this is how much people give. Just information I had to know. Hardly anybody else in the church knows it. And I remember almost spitting my coffee out at just people give how much to the church? I remember seeing gifts in the high hundreds and gifts in the thousands of just regular monthly giving. I think we've got a (laughs) regular monthly giving not an, a special occasion, but just going out of their bank account every month. And of course, these were just the amounts that jumped out of the page because they seemed particularly big, but were equally a, a, a similar n- number, probably even more people giving extravagantly, costly, 
for what they had out of their means. Giving like Mary. Giving as worship to Jesus. People that were just saying, I am not holding back in my devotion to you. I'm going to give a substantial amount of what I have. I'm going to give extravagantly. I'm going to give whatever it costs because, Jesus, you alone, you're worthy. I just want to show my devotion to you. I want to give myself to you and give of what I have to you. And yet, there's always a voice of questioning when there's this kind of lavish giving involved. And here we hear it from Judas, verse 5. Why was this ointment not sold for 300 denarii and given to the poor? And then as we read through verse 6, we read that this Judas was one who was going to go on to betray Jesus. And it seems like the work of the enemy is already at work in him because he's looking to really manipulate this situation for his own gain. He's got deceptive mindset involved. And while we might not, hopefully, have quite the same level of self-serving deception in mind, I do think that Jesus' words do resonate with us. That this, from Mary, is an act so extravagant, so outrageous, that at least to my mind anyway, it does seem a little bit wasteful. That it's impossible, I think, not to think along similar lines to what Judas is questioning here, of like, Mary, I love the heart of this offering, but surely there was a slightly better use of this gift. Surely it could have been used in a better way. Because the thing is, this is not only a gift that has been poured out, a year's worth of wages to one man for one moment, which it's nice, but it's hardly going to change the world, right? Jesus will smell nice for a bit. But look where she's pouring it. She's pouring it on his feet. Now, just practically speaking, when was, I'm not going to do a show of hands, but when was the last time you put perfume on your feet? Right? Like, what is the part of the body that is furthest away from your nose, furthest away from other people's noses? Where is essentially the place in your body that is going to get least benefit from having perfume on it? Your feet. And from us, in our culture, I think this is wildly impractical. On, in their culture and the, the world in which they were living in, it's almost nonsensical. The streets that they walked in were not the cleanest of places. The streets that they had to walk in every day to get anywhere were places covered in. It was impossible to walk in them without your feet getting caked in the sewage and the mud and the grime as the waste of every household was just poured out on the street and you walk through it. That is exactly where these feet of Jesus are heading next, into the grime and the mess. In about an hour, this 20,000 pound gift is about to be trampled into the mud and the grime and essentially is going to disappear forever and become utterly worthless. 
But for Mary, she just has to be at his feet. Mary has to be at his feet, the place of humility, the place of service, the place of saying, I am not worthy. I am, you are so much greater than I. You alone are worthy. This is not a gift at all where she is thinking about, well, what is the impact of this gift going to be? What is the effectiveness of this for the mission that is ahead? This is simply an act of devotion and honor and love towards Jesus. There are so many other effective and optimal and strategic and effective, uh, reasonable, logical ways that she could have used this gift. Judas is pointing out just one of them. But this is not a gift driven by logic. Mary is not giving here because she has become convinced by a strategy that is ahead. Mary has not been compelled by a well-communicated vision message that has been pitched to her. Mary is giving because she is simply captivated by a person. This man that is in front of her, as she is in the room with him, just to be with him, just in his presence, from this man just radiates truth and beauty and life and glory. And as she is with him, as she beholds him, as she considers all that he has done, she realizes this man, he is the, he is the fulfillment of all the longings of my heart. He is everything to me. And she just thinks, well, I just want to show him in the most extravagant, sacrificial way, Jesus, I love you. And as we take our offering, that is what we are doing. As much as it is good, I think, for us to be compelled by a God-given picture of the future, of the, the place of our tent enlarging so that we can see the lost saved in Manchester. And it's good for us as a church to respond to that and to think, yes, I want to give towards it. I want to I play my part in seeing that happen and God's inviting us in. As much as all of that is true, when we give, we are not giving to a vision. We are giving to him. That when we pour out our offering, we are bringing it to the feet of Jesus. And as we give to his church, his bride, his body, the manifestation of his person here on earth, it's our opportunity to come before him and say, Jesus, I just want to pour something out to you. Maybe for you that will be something extravagant. Maybe it will be something highly costly. Or maybe for you just the, the first steps of giving something. Just Jesus, I want to express my devotion. I want you to know I love you. And if you are anything like me, you have an inner Mary. But you also have an inner voice of Judas. That I imagine that for many of us, we do have this really strong desire of like, I do just want to give in this reckless way that Jesus, that Mary does. I just want to pour out, I want to open up my purse strings or wallet or Monzo account or whatever it happens to be. And just like, I'm going to pour it all out to God. I want to do it. I know who he is. I know what he has done for me. I know how fundamentally my life has changed. I could tell you stories and testimonies of what he has done in my life. I know how good life is walking with him. I know how complete he is. He is my everything. He's my treasure. He's my all in all. You could say all of those things and you'd, you'd actually mean it. And yet, you'd also have this voice of Judas. 
this just this questioning voice within of are you sure this offering is really the best use of your money? The other things that you're giving will be used here, really the most effective ways that you could be giving. Maybe, maybe, maybe we just hold back on this one because there might be something slightly more strategic on the horizon that we could give to. Now, I think if you wanted to, you could sit down and you could pick holes in the vision message that I shared a couple of weeks ago and the strategy that we have to accomplish it until the cows come home. Because I imagine there are plenty of holes in it to find reasons why it's not the most optimal, optimal way to use your giving or the most effective or strategic plan that we could possibly have. To have reasons to hold back, reasons to question, is, is this a good place to give? But to all of those what seemingly very reasonable and fair questions come the words of Jesus in verse 7. Jesus said, leave her alone. That as Judas questions and critiques and maybe even speaks for the thoughts of the whole room that are looking upon this woman, maybe even speaks the doubts of our own heart of, surely this would be a bit of a waste. Jesus just says, leave her alone. In the account of the same moment, Matthew records Jesus as saying, why do you trouble the woman? For she has done a beautiful thing to me. Just want to imagine you to imagine Jesus saying those words to you. You have done a beautiful thing to me. That as you step out in faith, a vulnerable act of complete devotion to him, as it's taken all of your courage and it's cost you so much and you are unsure what's going to happen next. And as you are then surrounded by voices and looks of doubt and questioning and criticizing that in that environment, Jesus just looks you in the eye and says that I see your, I see the cost, I see the sacrifice, I see the devotion, I see it all and what you have done, it's beautiful, it's good, it's right. Whenever we meet Mary Magdalene in John's Gospel and in Luke's Gospel, every time we see her, she is always at the feet of Jesus. Listening, learning, worshipping. And as often in the Gospels, it's the, it's the men who speak a bit too loudly. And it's the women who are showing and modelling what true discipleship really looks like true life of following Jesus. This is the right thing. It's right for us to give like Mary did, because do we not know Jesus like Mary did? That when we were hopeless and desperate and tormented and afflicted, did he not come into our life? and come and find us. Just as we were singing earlier, we've been set free. Our chains are gone. 
Has he not liberated us from the grip of the enemy? Has he not given us all that we need to know life, to experience the fullness, the full measure of forgiveness and freedom that only he can offer? Do we not know what it is like to walk in daily, his blessings and his kindness poured out into our life? Have we not experienced something of what it is to walk with him every single day, to know his presence and his his person in our life? to be bound to him, to be united with him? Has he not given us true dignity and meaning and purpose and called us on a life of adventure, called us into a life worth living? Aren't our lives also monuments of the radical transformational power of Jesus at work in us? And he does not require it of us. There is, just like with Mary, there's no obligation, there's no expectation that this would happen. But he wants us to know this is a beautiful thing for us to do. I just want to be really clear. Mary gave here something that was costly and extravagant to her. This is not an equation of the amount that you give is then the amount that you love Jesus And is then the amount that Jesus delights in you. In fact, there's a great story elsewhere in in the Gospels where Jesus delights in a woman who just brings two almost worthless coins and puts them in the offering. Not because of how much that was going to achieve and how effective that particular gift would be, but because of how extravagant and costly that gift was to her out of what she had. This is not about how much you give, but how much it costs us to give it. And this kind of sacrificial giving is something we grow towards. That maybe you are just starting giving. Maybe you've never given to a church before. And you just think, this is not where I am at. That is absolutely fine. That as we looked at last week, you give to the level where you think you have faith to give where you feel like God is, is stirring this in me to give. And I just want to make a particular note for students, because it's always a bit confusing, isn't it? It might be the first time you've ever given or ever even thought about giving, and you think, well, it's not really income, it's a loan that I've got, or maybe not got anymore. <laughs> I don't know when it came in last for you. And all I'd say to that is that as you are beginning in financial independence and you have some of your own money, I actually think from my own experience, this is the most important thing you can do with it. To put in these principles of this is what I do when I have money of my own to spend how I want to give. It might be that you can't quite reach the level of (laughs) £20,000. But just start really, really small. Particularly if it's your first time giving. Just to start to get the principle and the rhythm in your life. Because as we all look to grow as disciples, it's this kind of sacrificial, extravagant giving that we can all look towards and aspire towards. That he is worthy of our gift. And just as we finish, as is so often in the the case in John's gospel, the actions and the words of someone are far more prophetic than they realize. Mary's actions here are far more apt than she could ever have known. Verses 7 and 8 are probably most helpfully translated by the NIV translation where it says this. Jesus says, leave her alone. It was intended that she should save this perfume for the day of my burial. 
You will always have the poor among you, but you will not always have me. What Jesus is saying is that this act of anointing with perfume is actually the beginning of his day of burial and that he would soon be gone. Mary, without knowing it, is kind of prophetically anointing his body, ready for his imminent death and burial. And in the verses that then follow on from our passage, Jesus is going to begin a descent down the Mount of Olives, a descent towards another mountain that he would climb, a mountain on which a cross would stand, where he would then freely and willingly give up his own life. And her gift, her poured out offering here of love and gratitude is just far more appropriate than she could ever have known as she is anointing him as he readies himself to give all that he has for her, to pour out himself as an extravagant offering of love. Soon Mary is going to see what we now see, that there is no gift no gift that we could ever give that would be too precious, too valuable, too extravagant for us to be able to express our devotion and gratitude for all that he has poured out for us.